Hi, I'm Joe Pavia, and thanks for listening to my podcast, Station to Station. The podcast revisits old radio interviews and news stories I was assigned to. You can find blogs, photos, and other stories on my website, joepavia.com. In this episode, you'll hear my 1986 interview with Canadian children's author Jean Little. She was the first famous person I ever met. My sisters introduced me to her book, Mind for Keeps, which they had read and spoke highly of, and they were quite excited that the author of this book lived two blocks away from our house in Guelph, Ontario. That excitement filtered down to me. So one day I thought it would be a good idea to knock on her door and introduce myself to her. I was 10 years old. She invited me in, and we sat in her living room and talked. And while I don't remember much of the conversation we had, Jean Little did. She told me, She asked what I wanted to be when I grew up. I responded at the time that I wanted to be a cook. When she asked if I could cook, I said no. She told me, she said I wouldn't be a very good cook if I didn't learn. Now she told me all of this during the second conversation we had in her living room. I was 22 in my first year of a college radio and TV program. I called to request an interview with her as she had released her latest book. It was called Different Dragons. I thought it would be a good interview for a program on our college radio station. Different Dragons was her 13th novel at the time. She also had two books of poetry published, and she told me she was working on an autobiographical novel. Our conversation was recorded on Friday, November 14, 1986, in Jean's living room. I remember when I was in grade six, you spoke, uh, I was at St. Stanislaus School. Mm-hmm. I remember asking you a question, uh, what tips do you have for writers, new writers? And I know what and... I said, because I almost always say the same <laughs> thing. You have to write a lot and read a lot, isn't that what I said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's what I always, well, it's true, that's what I did, you see. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why I say, I read and I read and I read and I read and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. And I ended up getting interested in writing for for real. And most people that I know that are professional writers really did. That's how you learned, basically. Mm-hmm. You didn't learn. You never went to a school and learned it. You can't. There's no... People teach creative writing. They can clean up some of your worst things. They can... I remember... And an editor can help you a lot. But mm-hmm. that you have to be have to show some talent before an editor is interested. Like when I wrote Mind for Keeps, they told me they wanted it cut by one-third. That was the very first thing they told me. Really? Cut it by one-third. And then we talked about what kind of third, and they said to take out a lot of the thoughts that I kept putting. I kept describing people's thoughts, and they said to cut a lot of that out and make it just from one central viewpoint and things. So I've learned a lot from editors, too, mm-hmm. but, but uh, mostly from other writers by reading their books. I guess that can be pretty frustrating like uh, when you put your artistic genius into something and someone else tells you it's not good enough. Yeah, I, I've never really found it difficult. I Once in a while I've been uh, irritated or even angry at them, but mostly by the time uh, you, you send them something into your editor and you pretty well know that it's not perfect when you send it in. Uh, some people wait till it's perfect, but I never do. I send it in and I'm thinking about what, what the weaknesses are before I ever get a letter. And often uh, the, what they say perfectly agrees with what I've already decided. Or when I do read it, I think about it and um, usually I can see what, what it is they're getting at. And then I, I've never rewritten, I've never had an editor write to me and I've rewritten the book 
and I think it should have been left. It's always been improved, the book. Mm -hmm. So I get my books are much better than they would have been if the editors hadn't seen their weaknesses. I find it very good to have an objective person. I don't have this feeling that every sentence I write is immortal, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I know a lot of it isn't. I'll get off on a tangent or I'll... Uh, and there are things now that if I could go back and change, I don't even realize I, I'll be doing something and I won't even realize that I've used the same situation twice uh -huh. uh, in, t in different books. For instance, in, in Lost and Found, I had the kids playing fish and the one kid had a lot of trouble shuffling. And in Shuffling Cards, which was very true of kids around seven, which is what she was. Uh, but I also had the very same situation in Stand in the Wind that she show girl showing her tension because as she was trying to shuffle and be real cool, she dropped the card, you know, and, the, and I, you can do a thing like that and never even realize you're doing it unless the editor you're working with says, you've already done this, you've done this twice. Where do you get a lot of the ideas for your stories? Most of it from uh, my memories of childhood, I guess, and my, oh, just thinking about kids today and the problems they have and uh, my nieces and nephews. Mm -hmm. You have a imagination. A, a Harper Row, that's uh, in in the New states. New York, yeah. New York. Uh, are your uh, books popular down south? Yeah, yeah. I get most of my fan mail comes from the states. Oh, really? I get a lot from Canada and the states. Mm -hmm. Got a letter the other day though from a kid in Malaysia. You always Malaysia. Feel like the book isn't. The books are there. I think it must be in the in the library of an international school. Uh -huh. This child was a child whose father. I think the father was an American and the mother was Scandinavian or something and they've lived, she's lived all her life in the Orient. She wrote and said her favorite city was Tokyo and and so on. Anyway, I wrote back to her, but it's quite fun when you think a book of yours has gone that far. Mm -hmm. Out of all the books that you've written, um, this might be a hard question for you to answer, but which is your favorite? I don't just have one. I'm my, I think the one I'm proudest of is Mom was going to buy you a mockingbird because I had to write it by dictating it onto cassette tapes. I couldn't see oh, to yeah. read anymore. And so that was the first book I wrote when I couldn't see to read. And now, since that, I've got a talking computer. So now I write, like, Different Dragons was all written on the talking computer. So um, I didn't think I was ever going to get Mom was going to buy you a Mockingbird finish. And so the fact that I did get it finished has won a couple of awards, and mm -hmm. so I'm very pleased with it. Uh, the other ones I like, I feel I feel very close to Anna and from Anna. I don't know. There's something about her that it's not just her vision. I guess it's the fact that she feels like a real odd man out that I really identify with. And then uh, look through my window is a lot of fun to write because I put four of my nieces and nephews into it, which I very seldom do, but I did in that one. And then Kate, I liked writing because it was in the first person, and so it, there were a whole lot of different problems. Like you had to decide, some of them I'd never dreamed of, you had to decide um, what, what, did Kate know the end? When she started to write the book, did she already, had she already lived through it all? Or was she telling about it, you know, she would tell about it as she lived through, say, this week, and then the next chapter would be the next week. She wouldn't know the whole story, or did she know the whole story from the beginning? It would affect the way it was written. And it was just interesting for me to find out the things you have to do differently when you write in first person. Uh -huh. But those four, I think, are my I'm proudest of. I'm very pleased with this new poetry one, too, because uh, it is all poetry written from the point of view of one of my characters. It's not my poetry, it's her poetry, and I made it up all from her point of view. So it's quite fun to have done that, too, and had it published. 
uh, of the hey character. world here I am the character that's the the character that is the I and all those poems is Kate oh, and so man. Kate is writing it all from the point of view of her personality not from my personality so it um, it was really fun to do that to, to write that book and then to have it be published was extremely neat when did you write Kate I wrote Kate, and it was published, I think, in '69, something like that. I wrote it in the late '60s, and this most of this poetry was written then. Although it's been updated, it's been changed uh, a bit to fit. For instance, I had things. I had a, a at one point she was talking about a storm coming, and I had something in Fahrenheit, and I changed it. I didn't change it into metric, but I just took out the temperature the altogether so that it wouldn't matter where you were reading it, it would be uh, okay. And then there was a one place where she had world problems listed, and she didn't, she, it was things like um, race riots, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and although there are still race riots, they weren't, at that time, they were race riots in the States, the Watts riots and things like that. And this is all, that's all changed now, so I have in things like famine, nuclear war, refugees, you know, quite a different, they're the same, basically the same kinds of, of problems, but just a change and shift, so I made it updated. So the poems have all been revised a bit to fit now, but the, um, uh, and the, so many of them were written back around that time in the oh, late okay. 60s. When you were, uh, well, when you began writing, did, did you have an author that inspired you? Well, my favorite writer when I was a child was uh, Frances Hodson Burnett, who wrote *The Secret Garden* and *A Little Princess*. But I'm sure, I'm sure *The Secret Garden* was a very uh, influential book on, and, and uh, Ellen Montgomery's heroines too, quite a bit, I guess. And then um, uh, other people, Rosemary Sutcliffe in England was. But then I, I was influenced in a way. I mean, not influenced necessary to imitate, but everything I read that I really liked, sort of, I used unconsciously, I think, in my books. So, but if you're just picking one, it would be the one book. It would be the Secret Garden that had the biggest influence on me. I think. Do you consider your blindness a handicap or more of an inconvenience? Well, it certainly is an inconvenience, and sometimes it's been a handicap. It's not really helped me back in my writing too much, except in the um, well it's been it's been awkward for me and there's certainly that from the in the time after I wrote listen for the singing when my vision started to get much worse the seven years went by before I got a book out that's very unusual for me to go that long and that I really usually would have had about five books out in that seven years or four or five and it certainly stopped me cold because I couldn't figure out how to do it when I couldn't see any longer what I was doing but now with the computer, I can write anything I want. You type everything in and it mm -hmm, tells mm -hmm. you what? It reads it back to me. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I noticed a lot of, um, I'll use the example from Anna. Uh, from Anna. It has to do with, uh, or possibly a lot of, all of your books have to do with physical and personal handicaps of people. Now, do you think the attitudes people have against uh, physically handicapped are changing? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they are a little bit, the, the people are, I, I know there's some uh, 
some hostility that's that is coming because because on the whole the world is trying to change and include handicapped people uh, i've i've talked to people who've been forced to make their premises more accessible to the handicapped and and it hasn't you know it hasn't resulted in any all it's done is cost them money so that makes them kind of angry i think uh, i think really the feeling about people being really different and so foreign to you um, will never change that much unless the children the hand unless you grow up knowing handicapped people and even then every new person you meet if you meet a handicapped person and you become very easy with them you meet another one if you know enough you know that with each person you have to make a, a new adjustment because you don't know what what will hurt this particular person and what will help them what so there's a strain that will always be there but I think there's a greater honesty now. There certainly is that. It used to be that people would go down the street, a kid would point at me or the dog, or I mean, before I had the dog, and say, what's the matter with her? That's my talking watch. And um, now they're more, they're more likely to talk. The mother will talk to them openly. You know, Well, that's a dog that helps her because she can't see. There was a day when they would have said, shh. Mm-hmm. Um, this, getting back to from Anna, okay. I noticed the characters in your books are in a sense alienated. They're outsiders. Mm -hmm. uh, I use the example uh, the character Anna in From Anna because she's overpowered by her older brothers and sisters. Do you yourself consider, do you consider yourself an outsider? I have been as a, I'm not anymore. I'm certainly not now. Um, occasionally I find the same feelings. Coming back I was at a big cocktail party not long ago and I was sort of put in a corner where I could sit and not be in the way and uh, I kept wanting people to come over and talk to me and they were talking to other people instead because they were easier to get to I began to feel quite persecuted but really it wasn't it, they weren't really trying to persecute me but I couldn't help but get this feeling I, I certainly was in my childhood I was the the uh, left out you know I was always at the edge and um, people wouldn't play with me that kind of thing right up through the end of high school I began making friends in I didn't make a really close have a really close friend until I was in high school and even after I was in by the time I was in university I was beginning to get more self-confident partly you know it was because I was left out but just like Anna Anna is on the outside partly because of herself you know what she does puts her there as well as her it isn't just her vision it's her attitude and um and her sort of prickliness and stuff and although I don't think I was like that I was quite a victim I was always if they would chase me I would cry and I would run and you know some children that's all you need to bring out the sadist in them and uh, I think I think it was a mixture it certainly wasn't all the fault of the people who were closing me out it was partly myself and you have to grow up I, I also have learned since then that every child I, I asked a group of children once 24 kids how many of them had been on uh, on the you know they'd been alone with a whole group teasing them how many of them had that experience every single child said they'd had that experience they identified completely with it so it's not just something that happens to the handicapped it just happens more often to the handicapped I think now have any of your books been con converted to films uh, home from far is a film half-hour film that Atlantis made and uh, it's been shown on the CBC several times and uh, Mama's Gonna Buy You a Mockingbird is 
apparently, well, I mean, it's not apparently, I've made some money from it already. It's being made into a two-hour CBC film. But as far as I know, they're still working on the script. Uh, Anna Sandor is writing the script. And uh, from Anna, the although I don't know whether they're really working on the rights or not, um, Atlantis has a script. At least I think they do. I haven't really heard from them. I have to get back and get check, follow that through. My problem is that so many things go on all at once, and I have a hard time, you know, being business-like and following everything through and keeping up with it. Um, could you tell us about your new book? Well, two of your... Different yeah. Dragons is a book about a child uh, about eight or nine who is being sent away for the weekend to visit his aunt, much to his... He's, it's the first time he's gone away from home without a member of his... He doesn't know his aunt very well. He's met her, but he can't remember. And he... Um, he's being sent away without his parents or his brother and it's the first time he's ever done that. He doesn't want to go. He's very homesick. And it's the story of his weekend. He's also a child with a lot of fears. And at the beginning the father says, you're going to have a wonderful time. Your aunt is a writer and she knows all about boys and you're going to love it. And the boy says, no I'm not. She likes to write books about boys who run away from home and fight dragons. And I'm not that kind of boy and she won't like me. And the father says, everybody has to fight a dragon sometimes. You just have different dragons to fight, that's all. And that's where the title comes from for that book. And the biggest thing he, ha he overcomes during the weekend is his fear of the dog. The there's a dog that's staying there also, and he's terrified of dogs. And although he hasn't gotten so he likes all dogs or anything, he has got so he trusts this particular yellow lab. And um, the other new book I have is called Hey World, Here I Am. And it's a book of poems and short prose pieces. They all began as poems, free verse poems. But some of them have been printed as if they were short prose pieces. And they're all written from the point of view of a kid between the ages of about 12 and 15, I guess. And she's one of the characters. She was a character in my novel, Look Through My Window, a major character. She was the heroine of my novel, Kate. And all the poems are written from her point of view. What's it like being a well-known writer? Well, I really enjoy it. Uh, once in a while, I, it's, it, the hardest part is uh, finding the time and discipline to stay home and go on writing because you get, when you write for children anyway, you get, um, they want you to come to schools and libraries and make speeches and it's an easy thing to do in some ways. I mean, it's hard, but it, it has its difficulties too, but it's easier to just agree to do it you get paid for doing it immediately, while when you write, you know, you're being, you don't get paid for several years. And, um, and it gets you away from writing. And when you're a writer, most people who are writers will agree that they'll almost do anything. And although you enjoy writing more than anything else you do, you'll do almost anything to keep from having to do it, which is ridiculous. I mean, you love it, but you hate it too. So you, um, you agree to do other things. And the, the, uh, I do find it, it's quite fun. I'm very visible because with the dog, too, going everywhere, by seeing eye dog. Now I'm never lost in a crowd. I mean, I'm very much, people are very much aware I'm there. So I get a lot of attention that I might not otherwise get. And uh, it's, it has its drawbacks, but it's quite fun. I quite enjoy it. As long as my fame is a small fame, we were talking about uh, people like, 
the royal family, for instance, they have such a huge fame that they have no private life left. Well, those of us who have a small fame, it's quite enjoyable, but the bigger it gets, the more of an intrusion it is on your own private life, and it, it can be a, you know, it's a mixture. It's, a, it's fun, but it's also a difficult, hard thing to manage. What's a typical schedule day for you when you, uh, as far as sitting down and writing? Do you spend hours at the... Uh... I don't have a typical day. I, I, uh, the only thing that I try to do is if I'm writing, I try to work through a chapter a day, and sometimes that happens quite quickly, and sometimes it takes me longer. But I don't start at a certain time. I just start whenever I can find the time. I, I do more of my writing in the afternoon than any other time takes me quite a while to wake up and get going, and usually after lunch, and then I'll often write into the evening. I usually start at you know, 2.30 or 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock, and then work till supper time, and then go on into the evening as long as I, well, the energy lasts. But then when I get, when I get really wrapped up in it, I write in the morning also. It just, I, don't, I don't have one, there's so many other things that happen, like people phoning about speeches, and and you coming, people coming for interviews, or children having a project, or this or that, that you can put off writing. Uh, I'm, I'm mean, right around, not today particularly, but right around from now on. They want me to um, get this, uh, I'm doing this autobiographical book, they want the manuscript in. And I'm not working on it at all, I'm doing everything else but, and I'm, I'm keeping December perfectly free right at the moment, I think it's perfectly free. But you know how December is, it fills up with Christmas stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, they want that manuscript in December. Well, they're not going to get it, I can see that right now. And uh, they give me a deadline, but then of course they know and I know that if I don't have it done by the deadline, well, they, there's just no way they can't have it, that's all, till I get around to it. But I've kept January free too. You keep yourself It's hard open. to keep the time free because people don't believe that if you have a day that doesn't have something written down that you have to do with somebody, then obviously you're free, and people find it hard to believe that you that writing is the same as any other job that you have to really, you know, take the time to do it. Uh, how often, what well, do you speak to schools? I do a lot of it. For instance, in the last, well, I haven't counted, but I have. I haven't had since. October the 6th, I have not had three days in a row when I wasn't making a speech. So I have had occasionally one or two, more often one day here and there, when I try and catch up on and you. But I haven't had any days free from October. I haven't done any writing since October the 3rd because I just haven't had any time. And uh, that, But that's always true in October, November because that's when Children's Book Festival comes, that's happening next week. Usually I'm off touring during Children's Book Festival. Or um, it's just when schools start their projects, libraries get into their, geared up for their, you know, their winter uh, things. So you do a lot of it then, and then it swings around and people are kind of much busier and don't ask you as much in Je December, January, February, you have more time. And then again in the spring, Everybody decides, well, come on, school's getting over, we better do another, and there's National Book Week, and so it's very busy, usually in April and May. Uh, do you have uh, appointments right now to speak in April? I have or appointments May? to speak next October. 
next October. Mm -hmm. And in April. And in May. None, there's blanks I have. I'm going to England in February on tour for my, and that's related to the books too. The Canadian Children, the Children's Book Center is sending four authors, four Canadian authors on tour. And um, so that'll be, that's going to be fun. Who else will be going with you? Um, couple of people from the book center and then the other authors are Camilla Grisky who writes string game books um, and other she writes non-fiction sort of game books uh, Kathy Stinson who writes picture books and uh, James Houston who writes um, novels about the Inuit and Eskimo Indians native peoples of Canada he lives in the he lives half the year. I don't know how much of the year. He lives part of the year in Connecticut where he design, works for Steuben Glass. And then he work, lives in the Queen Charlotte's the rest of the time. How do you view your, your uh, children's books with other, say, a classic children's novel? Or with, with other novelists, with other children's novelists? Well, it's very tricky. I, I, uh, when I go into the States, for instance, I have friends who are very well-known writers in the States whose opinion I really value, and they really appreciate my books and feel they rank well up there. Not every one of them, but certainly certain ones. Um, but when we're going to England in February and we're trying to, we're looking at our books from the point of view of the English, you start looking at them and you come, become very oh, doubting or something. You don't, you're not sure whether your books really stack up. How often so, do, you, or do you publish a book or write a book, I should say? Is it, usually uh, about every year to a year and a half. Except you set unless, that up, that your plan, I your goal is for uh, a year? Well, my publisher's goal is every year. Oh. <laughs> Mine is to do it if I can, and if I can't, I can't, and it'll take longer. That's just... They, uh, Penguin, which is my current publisher, likes to bring them out in the fall, just before Christmas. And it is a wonderful time to get a book published. Because everybody, you know, at Christmas, there are a tremendous amount of children's books bought for Christmas uh, by parents and grandparents. And, the other, and, and that's when libraries, libraries will order them anyway, too, my, the, my books anyway. They will go, get into the libraries. So if they go in, come out in the fall, they'll also get into people's homes in the spring or the summer. The other lists are less likely by the time people are buying Christmas books, they've forgotten about the ones that came out in the spring. Um, getting back to the letters that children, the fan mail that you got from children, what sort of, what sort of things do they say? Like what do they One of them like wrote and said, Dear Miss Little, in my opinion, you stand next to God. Now how about that? Uh, usually what they, um, a lot of it is teacher directed, which is extremely tiresome, and they are told to write to a writer. I was at a school the other day where a child asked me, does your dog chase lions? And I said, no. He said, does he chase giraffes? And I said, how would he? And he said, I said, where would he find any to chase? And he said, in the jungle. And I said, well, we've never been to the jungle. And he said, my dad has. Well, you get some strange, even in letters, you get some little quirky, 
questions. You know, one child wrote and said, are you alive or dead? My class wants to know, which I thought was very funny. And I, that was when, right away, right way back when Mind for Keeps came out, but I still have that letter somewhere because I thought it was so funny that they would write to. What age group are, are you, is this, are you Most of the of? letters come from grades four, five, six, but I do get them a lot too, right up through grade eight and down as young as grade two. What themes do you try to send out in your books? Well, I think partly, I'm not sure that I do. Partly I'm, I'm saying that the child who is uh, excluded for some reason is really just the same as the other child, has the very same feelings, is not really a different species. I think children do think that, uh, and, and a lot of what we say to them supports it, that if, you, if there's a crippled child in your group, you should treat that child in a different way. A woman was telling me yesterday at, that she had been so shocked she was standing in a, in a station and there was a man there with a guide dog and when it was time to get on the train everybody got on and they didn't stand back and let this man go first and I kept saying well you know his dog would take him on he doesn't need to go first yes but they had no heart and this was an adult woman and yet the man the whole reason the man has the guide dog is so he can be independent and do things just the way everybody else does them. But he, she really felt that he should be treated differently. And I never did get her convinced that she was wrong. And uh, I think we give that feeling to children. And partly I'm trying to say, you know, they're just like you are. If you hurt them, they hurt just the same way you do. And if you're, and also I think the other thing I'm saying is that um, you can't be a, you can't have friends and be, uh, unless you will learn to pay the costs of friendship. You have to be a friend before you can have a friend. Like if you're going to talk behind somebody's back, which kids do all the time, particularly when they're eight, nine, ten, you know, they, they have a big buddy-buddy relationship with somebody on Monday. On Tuesday they get another somebody and they talk about the Monday person. They can't figure out why on Wednesday the Monday person won't speak to them anymore. It takes a long time for you to realize that the it's like you know, the consequences of what you do affect what happens to you. And if you're, if you won't speak to somebody, well, they're not going to speak to you. And if you don't, that, that you have to grow to be a friend. You have to grow, grow up to become a friend. And it takes, it takes a lot of learning. It takes a lot of bruises. And, and partly I think I'm saying to children, well, if you, if you are having a lot of problems with making friends as one, well, just hang in there and, and uh, it'll be all right. Like Anna has a lot of problems with with relating to people and uh, some of it she has to grow up a bit and not be so angry, you know, give up some of her own anger before she can... I mean, she doesn't really make friends until she begins to relax herself and Isabel's pretty... and with her own family, she doesn't really begin to come through until she gets a bit of insight one last question. What's the fascination with writing? Why are, why are you writing books? Well, partly I do it to make a living, but, uh, and that's a very basic important. If, if, I, if I found that they didn't sell at all, I know people who say they would write the same if nobody wanted to read what they wrote, but I wouldn't, I don't think. I think I would still do some writing, but I certainly wouldn't work as hard at it as I do. But the other thing I think is that I just really like doing it. It lets me into other people's lives, you know, I, I invent people's lives. It's sort of like a form of escapism in the way. And I move into, I create, it's a, the um, love of creating 
making up your own world and deciding little silly things like what kind of car do these people drive and what do they have for supper and oh just their life there you know how they live what what kind of a house they have and all things like that it's fun it's fun to do i just enjoy it canadian children's author gene little i have added links to stories about gene on my website joepavia.com thanks for listening see you on the next podcast